I'll be honest with you. I feel like we've worn this season out, harvest season. We've even done merch for it. We've done everything for it. And um, to just be truthful with you, I'm out of content, and that's okay. I I want you to know that's really okay because there is nothing left for us to do with this season than to do it. You get that? Like, uh, we can belabor it all we want, and we can hammer on it, and I'm going to finish it off here, but I just, I want you to know that. We're, I, I want you to know even something more, and, and I just, I want to be kind, but I want to be clear. Uh, there's a difference in kind and nice. I want to be kind, but I also want to be very, very clear and very, very direct. Let me pastor you for a minute. If you've been here for this season, and you've enjoyed the messages, and you bought the hoodie, and everything's been great, but you haven't done a single thing that we've talked about, you have completely missed the entire purpose of the season. I mean completely swing and a miss strike out because this entire season has been about going out and being Jesus and sharing Jesus. We've had three things. We want to make friendly connections. We want to have gospel conversations and extend church invitations. That's, that's what we want to do. We want to be the friendliest people in town that people will know that we are, we are so loving. They will know you by your love. We're so loving. We're so kind. We're so gracious. We build somewhat of a trust with with anybody that's in our circle. And then we have gospel conversations. Anytime the door opens, I'm really struggling. How can I pray for you? I'm walking through a tough season. Can I encourage you? Where were you yesterday? I was in church and this is what God spoke to me. Hey, check out that we're gonna have gospel conversations and then what was the last one? We're gonna extend church invitations. We're gonna invite people to church to come be a part of a community that is growing in faith together. And lovingly and kindly, I just wanna tell you, if you've heard all the messages, you've bought the hoodie, you've liked it on social media and haven't done a thing with it, we've just, we failed. We failed as a community, we swung and a miss, we totally missed it, and this is my last ditch effort. It's the referee with the flag, and I'm throwing it, I'm saying, listen up! This is our last opportunity. Not last opportunity as a church. This should always be part of the culture and the heartbeat, but this is the last message, and there's really nothing left to say other than to go do it. And ironically, that's almost exactly what Jesus does when he finishes out Matthew chapter 28. When he finishes the narrative of Matthew, he calls his disciples together, and there's really nothing left to say. He's saying, hey, um, here's what you need to do. Go. Get out of here. Leave. Go do what I've told you to do. And this is how he says it, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But look at this, but some of them doubted. Isn't it interesting? I asked a trick question. Don't answer this. But can worship and doubt exist in the same space? Here's what you have to know. There is an extreme difference in doubt and disbelief. There is a major difference in doubt and disbelief. Can doubts exist in worship? I sure hope so, because there are times where I was sitting on that front row and I was praying and asking God for a miracle for one of my children, and I didn't know if it was gonna happen. In fact, there were moments where I may have doubted a little bit, but I was worshiping through that and declaring through that, but there was some doubt and some worry and some concern, and there he is squawking at me, right on time, boy. There were some times where those doubts hit me. I sure hope they can exist in the same room, or we're all in trouble, but here Here's what you need to know. There is a major difference in doubt and disbelief. 
We are not talking about disbelief, we're talking about doubt. Matthew chapter 14, Jesus calls Peter out to him on the water. Peter comes walking out on the water and when he starts to sink, he sees all of the wind and the waves and he starts to sink underwater and Jesus says to him, you have so little faith, why did you doubt me? Same exact word. You were having doubts while being my follower. You were having doubts and worry while experiencing the middle of a miracle. That's ironic, isn't it? I just want you to see that because some of you would come in here and you would disqualify your faith and you would disqualify your calling to the mission of Jesus and you would disqualify your ability to go out these doors and to love on people and to be Jesus to people because you have a couple of doubts that exist along the way. Doubts and worship are existing in the same space. Jesus is calling together the mission of his church and he is saying, I know there's doubts here and I know there's worship here. Now let's go do it together. Let's go make it happen together. Verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I, uh, I, before I went to Mid-America Nazarene University, I had a very short baseball career there, but before I went, um, I knew an alumni that was there, and he invited me to this massive game. It was the alumni game, and it was a football game against the, the starting football team and the alumni who used to play football at the university. And I mean, it was a massive, massive ordeal. I am talking stadium was, in, it was completely packed. All the alumni showed up. The entire student body showed up. They divided the sides, and you had the alumni cheering, and you had the, the student body screaming at And it was just, it was a wild experience and so he invites me and he says hey let's go and, and we go and we sit on the alumni side and I'm sitting with him and as I'm sitting with him I, I'm sitting next to him and I'm thinking to myself he's still young I mean he's younger he's in really good shape he still loves the game of football and, and so I casually I'm sitting there next to him and I, I realize the alumni were getting destroyed I mean you got a bunch of 30 and 40 year olds playing football against 19 and 20 year olds not not going to happen well it's not going to work out well right and so I, I looked at him and I said hey I said, why aren't, you, why aren't you playing? Why didn't you, why didn't you go play for the alumni? And this is what he said to me. And this has stuck with me for years. He said, he said look at all, and he knew everyone on the field. He said, look at all these guys. You see all these guys? He said, these guys have been training for years for this moment. He said, these grown adults been leaving work, going to the local YMCA, lifting weights, doing squats and running sprints, just training for this alumni moment. And he said, I'll tell you, he said, for me, he said, when I was playing, I committed that I would give 100% effort the entire time. When I was on the field, when I was in practice, when I was in the weight room, I'd give 100% effort. And he said, the reason I did that is so that I didn't feel like I had to step back on the field when my days were done. He said, Luke, all these guys out here, he said, what they're trying to do is make up for missed opportunities. He said, I, I know them. They, they were drinking, they were partying, they were acting wild in college, and they didn't take advantage, and they didn't give full effort, and they didn't work hard, and now they feel like every year they have to come back and they have to do this alumni game again just so they can make up for the moments that they missed. 
I can't help but think as we're finishing out a sermon season on being Jesus and sharing Jesus with the world as we've been called to do the plague that would be. Thankfully, when we get to heaven, there is no heartbreak, there is no sorrow, there is no, there is no brokenheartedness. But I think one of the biggest brokenhearted cries of us in eternity, should we go and God wasn't gracious enough to take those pains away, would be the people and the missed opportunities that we had would be the missed opportunity to think, I had a family member who didn't know Jesus, and here I am in eternity, and they're on the fast track to hell, and I didn't take one opportunity. I didn't have one conversation. I didn't invite them to one coffee or to one meal. I sat next to this person for years on end in a cubicle or in a break room or in a classroom, and I didn't take one. You know, there's actually a story in Scripture where this happens. There's a rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man dies and goes to hell. Lazarus dies and goes to heaven. And now this rich man is having a dialogue in hell. And, and here is the dialogue that he's having. Luke 16, 27 through 31. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to him. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Verse 31, he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Do you hear the story? He's in hell and he is screaming out saying, please, just send Lazarus to my family. I've got five brothers. None of them know, none of them know Jesus. Will you please just do something about it? We don't want to live with missed opportunities. And we will have them. I'll, I'll be the first one to share. I was on a plane coming back from preaching last weekend for my mentor's church in Ocala, Florida. And I'm sitting there and I'm wiped out. I preached three Sunday mornings, one Sunday night. Got on a plane, long weekend. I'm reading a book about prayer. And there's someone sitting in the middle seat next to me. And they mention something casually about my book. And I'm tired and I'm worn out. And I, I don't like talking on planes. And I've got every excuse in the world that I didn't take advantage of that gospel opportunity. And it's, it's one that's haunting me. It's like, so what's your excuse? You were tired and worn out to take an opportunity for the kingdom? You have a stranger asking you about a book about prayer? The stranger that's opening the door for a gospel conversation and you're too tired. Like, come on, Luke. Don't miss the opportunity. I don't want to live with missed opportunities, and I want God to give me more. So what do we do? What is our mindset? This is what Jesus gives us in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and he gives it to us in three ways. Number one, we go with authority. Number two, we go with an assignment. And number three, we go with an assurance. I told you, I'm out of content, but I've still got alliterations, baby, all day long. Number one, we go with authority. Number two, we go with assignment. Number three, we go with assurance. Let's dive in. Number one, we go with authority. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus could not have made it more clear. He said, Jesus came to his disciples and he told them, I have been given all authority 
in heaven and on earth. This heaven and earth authority is a sweeping concept throughout the book of Matthew. It's riddled throughout Matthew, and it is this narrative that shows us these two powers colliding to really create one governing superpower. I'll show it to you. Matthew 6, verse 10. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in earth and heaven. May both powers collide and may you do the great work. Matthew 16, 19. And I will give you the keys, the kingdom of heaven. Wherever you, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in it's the merging of these two worlds, these two spheres coming together to create this all-encompassing authority. Matthew 18, 18 just repeats the last verse. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in Matthew 28, 18. Let's go back to it. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I've got all authority here. I've got all authority here. And they have come together in me and they will exist continually in the form of the Holy Spirit. And that is the authority that you have. In other words, he's saying, I've got all control. I've got all power. I've got all authority. I'm the man and this is my spot and this is what I give to you, he is over all and has authority over all. How would our gospel conversations and how would our daily interactions change if we recognized we carried the authority of Jesus with us? So I, I go to Starbucks a lot. And I, I know there, there are some people who don't, don't, aren't crazy about Starbucks, and that's okay. I, I, we'll, we'll meet at a different coffee shop. But there is just something that hits me with a nitro cold brew that I haven't found somewhere else right now. You know, that's just, that's just it. Maybe it's the 1,300 milligrams of caffeine. I don't know. But there's three of them that I go to. And I mean, some of my best gospel conversations happen in Starbucks. I know the entire staff of two of these locations, and I know about half the other staff, and they all know that I'm a pastor, and will. there is no greater opportunity to talk about Jesus when there's a, a barista making your drink, and they're like, so you're a pastor, right? And I'm like, I don't know. Is it a good thing with you or a bad thing? Where do we want to go with this, right? And over time, begin to evangelize, begin to share the gospel, but there is, there's something that happens when you're in a Starbucks, at least the ones that I'm in, where there's this guy and if you're a Starbucks employee, you probably know who this is because it's time to straighten up. He's got this gray hair in a ponytail with glasses. And when he walks into the location, the entire place changes. Like everywhere, and I'm telling you, it's happened at multiple locations that I've been at, right? That he walks in, all of a the sudden, they're friendly behind the counter. It's like Chick-fil-A, right? They're like, oh, hi, welcome. How may I serve you? My pleasure, right? Like, they all say, you'll, you'll literally be sitting down, and they come and check on me. They're like, hey, Luke, how was your drink? Oh, let me clean that table up for you. And I'm like, what is this, right? Oh, the gray-haired guy is in the building. Okay, I get it, right? So I asked one of the, one of the employees that I know is a friend of mine, who is that? And he said, oh, that's the district manager. And wherever they go, they are in charge. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, wherever you go, I go with you. Whatever you step into, I step into with you. 
Whatever conversation you have, I have the conversation with you. Wherever you go, whatever you do, heaven and earth have merged to create the power that I have over them to create a place where my kingdom can come to earth because my authority has come to earth and my power has come to earth and you are the walking, living testimonies of that power. Remember a couple weeks ago, Matthew 9, Matthew 10. Jesus sends out his disciples, and when he sends them out in Matthew chapter 10, he says, hey, come here, I need you to pray about more workers for the harvest. Okay, while you're praying, go. Get out of here. Leave. Go work the harvest. Then he says, you will go in my name. You will cast out demons in my name. You will do healings in my name. You will share the wonder of the message that the Messiah has come, and as he prepares them and as he sends them, he ends with this. Matthew 10, verse 40, he says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. He is saying, I go with you, and wherever you go, I am there in your midst. We have an authority that goes with us. That means we don't have to get super quiet and nervous when we talk about Jesus anymore, right? There's an authority with that message. I find myself, when you, you, we'll talk about the football game. Hey, Sunday, did you check out that football game? It was great. Yeah, what else did you do Sunday? I went to church. You did what? Oh, I went to church. Worship was great. Really loved the last song. Messages about reaching people, right? Like, why is that? Where's the, there is an authority that comes along with the message of Jesus that we all carry. So number one, when we go, when you leave here, everything about this message is when we leave. It's not for right now. When we leave here, we are leaving with a greater authority than what we think. You have a greater power on you and with you than what you think. Number two, we go with an assignment. Again, can't get more clear than this. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Would you circle that word in your Bible or make a note about that word? That word nations is the Greek word ethos. It's literally where we get the English word ethnicities. It has nothing to do with location and everything to do with person. Here's it. Paul uses that word to describe Gentile believers. He calls them ethnos believers, right? So, and, he started, and remember, Jews and Gentiles were appealing forces of the day. Here is what Jesus is saying. Can you go share Jesus? Can you go be Jesus? And can you go celebrate Jesus with people who look different than you, act different than you, talk different than you, vote different than you, come from different places than you come from, different neighborhoods than you come from? This is not a command to, oh no, if I can't fulfill the mission of Jesus until I go to Africa. No, you can do that right here. And I'm all for the nations. I'm all for going to the nations. And I am all for reaching the nations. But what I want you to know is this. This call is not for you to book a plane ticket on a short-term missions trip. This call is for you to love somebody different than you tomorrow. This call is for you to share Jesus with somebody who doesn't look like you, act like you, talk like you, or come from where you come from. Can you share Jesus with different ethnos, right? So therefore, go and make disciples of all the ethnicities, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That word for make disciples, again, circle another word. Can you tell I've been gone for a week? It's like, I feel like I got to catch up, right? So circle the word make disciples. This is really important. That is a Greek verb, mathetuo. It only appears Four times in the New Testament, three times in Matthew, one time in Acts. It is a 
verb for the word disciple, mathetuo. The masculine noun, methetes, appears 261 times, okay? This is a really important distinction, all right? So 261 times you have the title or the identity of disciple, but only four times do you have the active verb of doing the work of discipleship, and every time it appears, it is attached just like this. Here's what's important. The, the scripture and the original authors are making it very clear to you there is a linguistic difference in being a disciple and doing what one does. In other words, you can have the title without ever fulfilling the task. You can call yourself a disciple and you can run around with the title of disciple, but there is a task that is involved with it, right? And, and here is honestly where I think the problem lies, is we are really comfortable being disciples, but we get really uncomfortable when it calls to do the work of discipleship. We are really, really comfortable when it comes to, oh man, I go to church, I worship, and I love Jesus. But when it comes to, okay, reach your neighbor, love your neighbor like yourself, share the gospel with those around you, be Jesus to your coworkers that may not agree with you like you or anything else, go be Jesus outside of these doors, that's the linguistic difference. That's what he's talking about. He's saying there is a noun that everyone calls themselves disciple, but then there is a verb and it's time to get to work. The verb means do the task. Are you willing to do the task? Or all you want is the title. The only thing you want is, that, you know, I, I played baseball. Um, we had, when, it, when we were 14, we won a state championship. And when we, when we won, it was pretty dramatic fashion. Reed Kreiser throws a fastball over the center of the plate, strikes out the last batter. I was in center field. We were running in. And I remember there was this guy on our team. His name was Mikey. And Mikey was that typical player. He never gave any effort, never showed up to practice. Whenever he did, he just, you know, screwed around the whole time, was making up games, spinning on bats, falling over. He would literally sit at the end of the bench, have his hat on sideways. He'd be spitting seeds into a cup, telling fart jokes, right? Like, that was, that was Mikey. He, he'd be called to, like, be a, a substitute runner if a pitcher got on. And he'd, he'd oh, man, i got to go find my cleats. And they're like, you don't have cleats on? We're playing a game, Mikey. Like, where are your cleats? You know, and Mike find his cleats, and he'd have to straighten his hat up and he'd run out there with a you know lip full of seeds if we're lucky if not red man and he's just he's out there playing and he was he was never engaged or anything but when we won the state championship I will never forget Mikey comes flying out of the dugout on the center of the mound partying cheering we're state champs baby look at us baby like he was the first one to grab the trophy he's hoisting the trophy everywhere he was that one that was like the nagling his way into the center of the picture like you know the guy right you know that person right did nothing the entire season didn't even care but the second we won he's like no no, no guys here I'll, I'll get in the middle right here like, hey state champs baby like that's us right and he's there I mean he's he is that guy and I remember thinking like we walked into a restaurant to celebrate afterwards he's telling the entire restaurant hey state champs are here baby do y'all know we won state today and we're thinking to ourselves you know I mean I'm glad he's excited but like what did he do he did nothing he didn't even want to do anything it wasn't like he was the hardest worker in the room he wasn't even paying attention half the time, right? He was having more fun spitting seeds into a cup trying to hit a bullseye than he was playing baseball. And now here he is, he got the title, and all of a sudden he loved celebrating the title, but he didn't enjoy doing any of the work. 
Listen to me, and I mean this graciously. Jesus does not care what your Instagram bio says. Jesus does not care the Bible verses that you have tattooed on your body. Jesus does not care how many times you wear the harvest season hoodie. If you're not being Jesus and sharing Jesus, you're missing it. You got the title, but no task. You got the title and love the title and love to celebrate the title, but the task is missing. This is the important work. Like this, is the, this should sting. This should sting us because we'll watch the news and say the world's going to hell. But Jesus will say, well, what are you doing about it? Okay, get it. World's going to hell in a handbasket. What are you doing? Who are you sharing Jesus? I'm included in this. Listen, and I'm included beyond Sunday morning. It's really easy for me, have a moment of transparency with you. It's really easy for me to play off my work of Jesus preaching sermons in a pulpit to a bunch of people that love Jesus, but who am I outside of this room when I'm in a Starbucks? Who am I outside of this room when I'm on an airplane? Who am I outside of this room when I'm in a grocery store checking out? That's who Jesus wants me to be and that's who Jesus wants you to be. The salt and light of the earth. People who are willing to, with authority, fulfill the assignment to go and share him and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them his ways. And then we'll end here. We go with assurance I love how Jesus, you know how they would tell you, like, if you're going to correct somebody, make it a sandwich, pay them a compliment, give them the correction, give them another compliment, right? Like, there's the sandwich approach. Jesus may have been a fan of the sandwich approach. I don't know. But he says, you have authority, now get to work, and oh, by the way, here's another compliment, right? Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 28, verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. This is our assurance, okay? This is the assurance that we stake our claim on. This is our assurance when we do leave here and we do have some anxiety about sharing Jesus with a lost and dying world and sharing Jesus with our coworkers and and being Jesus to our neighbors and sharing Jesus with one of our family members. This is what we have. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Christological theme of the book of Matthew revolves around this God who is ever present with us. How do we start the book of Matthew? Matthew 1 verse 23, the introduction of Jesus goes like this. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We begin with a God who is with us. Look right here in the middle, Matthew 18, 20. For wherever two or three are gathered as my followers, I am there among them. Jesus is here. The presence of God is in this place. Look at how Jesus leaves them. Teach these new disciples my ways and obey all my commands and be sure of this. I am with you always. We have an authority that empowers us. I love in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, go out and do my work. Don't even worry about what you're going to say. I will give you the words. Jesus tells his disciples that. We have an authority. We have an assignment. We have a job to do. We have a job to do. And it's not worth just having the title without fulfilling the task. And Jesus is with us. 
Look, I, I usually finish every sermon with some sort of illustration, and I have it right here, and I could tell you about beating Greg in PlayStation 3, but whatever it is, um, I, here's, here's what I feel led to do. There is no story that can wrap this up. There is no funny illustration. There is, I mean, it's just so clear. We have a choice to make. Are we going to be the people who do what Jesus has called us to do? And this is not a pastoral assignment. This goes way, this includes pastors, but it goes beyond pastors to people who are disciples. If we are going to leave this place and we are going to champion being the people of Jesus, then the rest of the world should know it. Our neighbors should know it. Our family should know it. Our children should know it. Our, our classmates should know it. Everyone living in the, co- I mean, we should be the people who are so deeply convicted by the truth that heaven is real and hell is real and Jesus came to death, burial, and resurrection, give us new life and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The most important thing in our life is not to make a bunch of money, not to build a big house, not to have a boat and not to have a lot of fun. It is to capture souls with us. It is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know what else to say other than that. Maybe it's this, John chapter four, Jesus comes to his his people and he says, you say there are four months until the harvest, but I say to you, the harvest is, it's right now. It's right now. It's not four months from now. It's not four years from now. It's not when you feel comfortable. It is what we're called to do now.